Welcome back to Primetime KC. On today's episode, we're going to break down some Chiefs news. Eric Bieniemy is expected to return as an offensive coordinator this season for the Chiefs. We'll break down what that means, our thoughts on that. We'll talk about race for the 10th seed, as always. NBA All-Star break just ended, so we're getting ready for that final stretch of the year. We have an interview with Nick Heath, good friend of the show. He's coming on. Had a great discussion with him about the current lockout and what it means for minor league players and kind of what the MLB is wanting to do versus what the players are wanting right now. And yeah, we'll get into a little bit of Mizzou torture, as we always do. But let's go ahead and just start off the podcast with the first news I brought up, which is Eric Bieniemy returning to the Chiefs, uh, probably for a one-year deal. I'll start with you, John. Uh, there's been a lot of mixed bag reports on Bieniemy since the season has ended. What do you think about him coming back now? Yeah, so obviously there's the one article that I know that we uh, dove into a bit. Who knows how true it is? Um I mean, it hasn't really been referenced by, like, anyone important. So, if there's anything negative for Eric Bieniemy, it comes out of that section. Um, look, I can't really tell you. I, I have no clue to what extent, like, he's influencing things. Um, I know that there's, like, a lot of contract stipulations that he has to call plays and stuff. Um, which I think is a little bit odd. Uh, but I don't really know how much of... A choice the Chiefs had because there's no guarantee the enemy would get an offensive coordinator job somewhere else. And if the Chiefs were responsible for him actually moving down the ladder and not up, um, it wouldn't be a great look in the current state of the NFL. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I don't really think they had much of a choice. But also, look, I think I can partially stand on a side, too, that maybe it's time to get something fresh in there. Believe it or not, this is going to be year number five of Patrick Mahomes. Um, and sometimes a little bit of a shakeup can be nice, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't think it's terribly effective, but it it's interesting. I didn't think it was necessarily guaranteed he would be back. So, Yeah, yeah I mean, kind of pivoting off that, I, I truly do think this is uh, his last dance. Uh I think he's gone regardless of what happens after this year. And I think it will be a mutual agreement. And none of this has been confirmed by Chiefs, but there's just been a lot of reporting that Bannemi's coming back. So who knows if he's going to come back this year. But it's leaning towards that way. But I just, I don't know. I'm interested to see how the team kind of reacts. Because, like, I feel like the article we kind of talked about, even though most of it's probably not true, there has to be some truth to it. So it's just going to be kind of interesting knowing that players are going to walk in there, knowing people on the outside kind of have a hint at what's going on the inside. And maybe that might change the team for the good or, or the worst. We don't know. But I would definitely say this is probably BNME's last year. Yeah, I mean, we've thought that probably for the last three years now. But it just kind of feels like time. Well, we is- thought that for in good reason. Yeah, we thought he would get a head coaching job, which, I mean, that's what Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy did. We figured it would just happen again. Uh, But, yeah, obviously, a lot of things have happened. A lot of variables have happened. That hasn't happened. Uh, And, you know, having him back isn't the worst thing in the world, not having to go completely first. Because you got to understand, you bring in a new offensive coordinator, it probably wouldn't have been an in-house hire. And if it would have been, it would have been a guy that was not even close to being O.C., because well, it could have been Nagy, which would have been an in-house technically because he was there. But, you know, it wouldn't have been like a Mike Kafka because he's gone. That probably would have been the next guy up. So the enemy returning makes more sense now. If 
Kafka was still here, I wouldn't have hated him transitioning to OC. But, you know, we've had, you know, an elite offense for every year of the Patrick Mahomes era. Whether you want to give the enemy the credit for that or not, it can't hurt necessarily to bring him back. So, I, I'm not, like I said, like you guys kind of nailed it. There's not a ton I really think of this. I, I think it's just like, eh. Good for the Chiefs. Good for Bienemy. Because you're right, John. If he got demoted, it would be a not as bad as a Brian story. Flores look, but it would be a bad look. Because Flores, it would uh, be a story. Because Flores just be- became the linebackers, like a defensive assistant coach <laughs> for the Steelers. So we can talk about that too. Because kind of <laughs> going off topic, kind of oh, going God. off topic with it. I think Flores is kind of just standing by for when Tomlin's going to quit. Because yeah. I don't see Tom, I don't see Tomlin coaching into his sixties or seventies. I see him like kind of just being like, "Hey, I mean, I've did it all. I've won two Super Bowls. What more can I do? I've given everything to the city. Here's a really good coach with a good team. You guys will enjoy him." But even I kind of feel like that's how his, I looked at it. But even if he doesn't go, let's say he retires at sixty, that's eleven more years. Like that is a long ass time to wait. <laughs> He's only forty nine. He's forty nine years old. So. Oh, fuck. Maybe you might not even go to this high 50s. I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting. Now that Big Ben's gone, it's going to be an interesting look. People forget Tomlin was, like, one of the first. He might pull a Sean Payton and do a one-year. Tomlin. Like, now, you know how they're, all these guys are hiring people in their 30s? Pittsburgh, whenever they hired Tomlin, that was, like, kind of like a holy shit. This guy is so young. Um, but, yeah. We'll see with that. Um, I have a segment that I didn't want to tell you guys about because I wanted your guys' fresh opinions on this. It's called To Move or Not To Move. And I'm going to go over some of the quarterbacks that are kind of in limbo this offseason. And you're going to give me your opinion if they're moving or not moving. So we're going to start off, first off, with Kyler Murray. To Move or Not To Move? Not To Move. To Move. To Move. Not to move. Okay, we have two differing opinions here. Josh, you have the hot take here. So where do you think he goes? Why do you think he goes? I think he goes. Well, if I'm a, if I'm the GM for of the Cardinals, that's how I'm looking at. For any of these quarterbacks that you're going to say, I'm thinking of the current team's GM line. I don't think Kyler's going to get it done. He has a contract. He's wanting a lot of money that I don't think he deserves. Teams will pay it, but I think the Cardinals have a good enough team to where they can find a good quarterback who might be better than Kyler. Hypothetically, Rodgers for Kyler wouldn't turn it down if I'm the Arizona GM. But I don't know. I think I don't think Kyler's the move. I think he's gonna have the same situation as Baker, but he's a better Baker Mayfield by far. Yeah. But I, I think he kind of falls in that situation where it's like you know what you're gonna get. Like I don't see him getting a lot much better than what he's at right now. I mean, I kind of think the issue with it is you can't downgrade at quarterback, especially when you have a guy yeah. going into the last year on his the start of his rookie contract, right? Like, I'm kind of feeling that mm, it's if it's not Rodgers, they're taking a step back. Um, so I just don't see it happening. I mean, I don't know what would have to happen for them to do it. But they're basically, I mean, if you if you trade down from him, you're basically entering tank mode. I mean, by some definitions. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of a mess, all things considered, if they both don't want to be there. But I don't think that the Cardinals have much of an option. No. I mean, it, who outside of Rodgers, they don't really have one. And that's such a far-fetched deal. I mean, especially doing that, you have to give up a lot for a guy that's old. So, And we'll get yeah, into the Rodgers one. Did, 
Just save your Rodgers takes because that's that obviously is going to be one of these. The next one is an interesting one. Uh, Baker Mayfield to stay or to go? To stay. To go. Jeez. So Josh is hoping for like the most crazy offseason of all time. Josh, who do you think even wants Baker Mayfield right now? (laughs) That's the thing. He's going to stay because no one wants him. Like, so you should have said to stay. You just said to go. <laughs> if I'm, I told you, if I'm thinking from the Browns GM standpoint, I would want to try to move Baker. But it's not that. I'm just wait, saying, wait. do you think they're staying or going? That's what it is. You can give well, your opinion I, if you would do it too, but do you think that they're going to stay? I think, he'll, I think he'll stay. Kyler, I don't know, but I think Baker's going to stay. Yeah, that one I just kind of wanted to ask. This one is pretty much leaning towards one way. Carson Wentz. To stay or to go? To go. Yeah, to go, right? It, I mean, it's I feel pretty like... obvious at this point that one is to go. Uh, and it looks like it's a cut, not a trade, because who the hell <laughs> wants Carson Wentz? That the, is... So the, the Eagles didn't even get their first-round pick. They got a second-round pick. For no, the Eagles pick. did get the first because he played 75% of the snaps, so they got a first. Uh, I thought he had to been like in, with for the first two years. Or no, something. all he had to do was play 75% of the snaps, which he did. Which is funny as hell because he had never done that before, but he did, and yeah. now he got it. This one's a hot one. Tua Tagovailoa to stay or to go? Stay. To stay. Mmm. See this like one. I said this one is interesting. Like I still believe Jackson, it, you're not giving us yours like to stay or to go though. Oh so. well, I I've kind of agreed with like I think every other. I think Kyler will go. I, I think Kyler will stay. I think Baker will stay, not because the Browns want him, but because no one else does. And I think Wentz is gone. Tua, this is an interesting one. Yeah. I still believe, and we're going to get into this one next, if Deshaun Watson's available, Miami is all in on that. I still believe that. So that's, you know, a lot of things have to fall, but I do think it's very possible still that Tua is on the move this offseason. Was that not, wasn't Deshaun Watson kind of still a big Brian Flores play, though? That's what I was like, going to say. I Brian like Flores is the one that wanted Watson. It wasn't the Dolphins. It was Brian Flores. I'm pretty sure, like, there was a big reason why the Dolphins were, like, wanting Deshaun, and it was because of Brian Flores. So, I don't, I, I would not be shocked if Deshaun Watson gets traded. It's not to the Dolphins. I mean, that isn't to say, though, that they couldn't still be interested in him because it's not a horrible thing to do, and you have someone that you can send the other way. I mean, they, you have to see how, Things play out this offseason, right? Because I think like 10 of those people are going to testify in court. Yeah. So well, I, I heard last offseason that this was supposed to be settled in February of 2022. So, like, so, I don't think that's going to happen now. Oh, yeah. No, no. It just happened. It, it didn't happen, but nine women are going to be able to question Deshaun Watson yeah. in a court case. As I said, they're going to testify. Okay. Yeah. So, that obviously, I was going to ask about Watson, but I feel like there's too many variables to even. Who even knows? To, we'll to even know. Like, yeah. But obviously, yeah. if he can clear it, or if he can get out of it with like just like a half, like some game suspension instead of like a huge ass suspension, then yeah, he'll be available. Um, this one's tough. Not necessarily tough, but it's just interesting to see where he go. Jimmy Garoppolo to stay or to go? I think this he's going to be. I think it's going to be another Carson Wentz. I truly do. I think he's going to have to stay. I mean, mm. the issue with it is his contract is so big. Like you, 
Who wants that? Oh, people <laughs> like, want that. I promise you. People want that? People will take Jimmy Garoppolo. I promise okay, you. Okay, but if we're talking about this, like, we're shit-talking Baker Mayfield. Like, they are essentially the same thing. Like, it's... If people want that, then people should be wanting Baker, too. Because at least you get to name your price in that case. Like, this guy is literally... What's his contract? Like, 25, 27 million a year? Something ridiculous uh, like that? Let me look it up. It's, it's and heavy. He's, but for a quarterback, not necessarily. Yeah, but for an a below average quarterback, I would say it's a little bit hefty. But you've like, only got one I, year left on the deal. You've got one. Okay, one year. You're not over. taking a giant risk. It's a twenty four million I mean, dollar cap hit if you take him. Okay. Off. Okay. It's then, not horrible. Uh, Personally, then I guess I could see him. Going I a hundred percent believe. I a hundred percent believe he is getting dealt, and I think it's either to Pittsburgh or to Tampa. I think both of those two would take Ooh, him. I like Pittsburgh. I think he's a perfect Mike Tomlin kind of quarterback. He just needs to go somewhere where he had kind of the same thing he had in San Francisco, which could have been, which could be Pittsburgh, where just don't lose the game. Just don't lose it. Just If you, great defense, good running game, you know, obviously respected head coach, just don't lose the game. And I think Pittsburgh, look, Pittsburgh can say all they want. They might not have a better option than Garoppolo. Is there anybody in this draft class that you can confidently say is better than Garoppolo? No. Not right no, now. No, but I mean, it's hard for any draft class to say that, too, in fairness. Well, but, last year, I mean, would, would you rather have Trevor Lawrence or Garoppolo? That's obvious. Would you rather? I mean, have- yeah, but I would rather, like, honestly, I'd rather take the risk on a lot of these guys than Garoppolo, too. Oh, I agree, like, but you can also take the risk on them while taking on Garoppolo for this year. Okay, because okay, that's fair. There that's is, fair. You know, there's, that's what it kind of boils down to, and if you're the 49ers, this isn't a Packers situation where you have – Oh, we're gonna re- we're gonna let our guy sit behind our quarterback yeah, for no. a few years. This isn't that situation. Trey Lance needs to go. He needs to play. This, this guy needs to get in next year. My question is this: Why are we rushing Trey Lance when you look at what the Packers are doing? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comparing Jeremy. I'm not. Yeah, that, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm not comparing Jimmy Rogers or Jimmy Garoppolo to Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Garoppolo has gotten you to the playoffs two of the last three seasons, and Rogers, he's gotten you to the NFC Championship. He's gotten you to the NFC Championship two of the last three seasons. It's not like he's a bad quarterback. When Trey Lance's time is ready, you'll know. And then but, I agree, play him. There's the no reason is, to rush But here's rush the thing, him. Josh, and here's the, the thing. And we're gonna, so it, it is hard to get into this without spoiling what we're going to do for the Rodgers one because that's obviously the, the big domino we need to talk about. But Trey Lance is probably light years ahead of Jordan Love. Like, he is probably... 10 times the prospect Jordan Love was when they got drafted. I just like I just don't see even... a, I don't see a scenario where and listen, in today's league what the Packers are doing is literally like nobody else does it. Nobody else takes a quarterback and sits him for 2 years. Like that does not happen. So, I think the Niners like at this point you gave up so much to get Trey Lance. In all honesty, if Trey Lance is playing in the NFC Championship game, do you go to the Super Bowl last year? No, it's not no, out of the question. You do not. It's not out no, of the you question. But regardless, this is all counterproductive because if you're talking about comparing him to Jordan Love, the difference is that you have to get rid of Aaron Rodgers to play Jordan Love. Yeah, like which is it's much easier to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. You're right. No one will shed a tear. Right. Like, it is reality. It, it, yeah, that and that's what it's like for these quarterbacks that are coming in. A lot of these guys get drafted to situations where. The guy that's quarterback, the fan base either doesn't like or is old as hell, 
And that's kind of where the Niners are. Garoppolo is not very well liked by that fan base. But moving on to the second biggest domino this offseason, Russell Wilson to stay or to go. I think he stays. I'll say stay just because of how difficult it is to move someone of his stature. But I could exactly. see him. Leave. I think he goes, honestly. Okay. I will say this. I think it's, if he does go, it's going to be because Russell Wilson wants to leave. It's not Seattle. Oh, trying no, to but go. I think Russell Wilson wants to leave either way. Like I think he wants to I, leave. I, I think that's pretty I, well documented. It's more so down to whether or not they can get what they want for him because you have to know what you hold when you're Seattle in this situation. I'm just saying, like, Philly makes so much damn sense. They have three first-round picks. They could give you back Jalen Hurts. Like, it is just like... I think they like Hurts. I, yeah, but I over, promise you, over you would take Russell Wilson in a heartbeat over Jalen Hurts. Like, it wouldn't even be a decision. Yeah. For how much longer is Russell Wilson going to be in the league? Probably six years, maybe. Like, seven? No. Why no. not? Quarterbacks are playing. He's, Russell Wilson's already like 34. He's 33. Yeah, like, he could probably 33. play five more years. He, that's probably reasonable. He could play till he's 38 at least. You have 15 with fucking Do you have 15 Hurt. with Jalen Hurts? Has Jalen Hurts proved he's a franchise quarterback? Like, I don't know. He hasn't. He The Eagles did not beat one team last year that made the playoffs. Not one. So, like, we can say, like, oh, yeah, a nice season. He hasn't proven he's a franchise guy. If you get a chance at Russell Wilson for five years, you take that. Like, that is 100% what you do. But now, I mean, we have to get into the most obvious Can one. we believe, though, that Russell Wilson is that old? Like, yeah, it's that crazy. That breaks my brain. Like, <laughs> he's the first person that, like, I feel like I vividly remember getting drafted. Or maybe, like, Cam, quarterback-wise. Yeah. That is, like, an old-ass man now. Yeah, like, it is wild. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, so then the final guy that we're going to talk about is Aaron Rodgers, which, let's be honest, a lot of these other ones we've talked about are kind of going to be off of what happens here, because this is the number one option on the market, if it happens. So, to stay or to go, what do you guys think? Or retire, that's also a possibility. Stay. 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 Wow. I, th- I think he stays. You guys. I mean, why... Are a lot Why more optimistic like, than me. I just feel like if they were going to do it, it would have been done earlier. Like, or not earlier in the offseason, but like a season ago. Like, at this point, I feel like his prospects are pretty low. I mean, obviously people can trade for him and do all of that, but I don't think he has as many, like, clear paths as he had in the past. Well, but that's wants, also to say... He wants to be the highest paid player in the NFL. That has come out recently. He wants $50 million a year. Which Green Bay, quite frankly, has no fucking chance of paying him that. There is no way they can pay that. Right now, they're $38 million negative in cap space. There's no way they can do that. And that is without Devontae Adams on the roster, who wants $30 million a year. I mean, you're talking about two guys that want $80 million combined. Like, it is... I just do not see a scenario where it works. I can't see a scenario. I know Green Bay wants it to work. I know Green Bay would do a lot of things to make it work for Aaron Rodgers. And they have. And that's the other thing I need to say is if Rodgers does end up deciding to leave Green Bay, you cannot blame the front office anymore. This this last year, they have done literally everything they can to make that guy happy. They brought back Randall Cobb. They brought back, like, almost everybody he wanted. They've done basically everything he wanted. They fucking got his like 80-year-old quarterback coach out of retirement who had been retired for like five years. Like, they have done everything possible to please this guy. If he doesn't want to come back, I mean, that is just... 
That's just tough. I mean, there's nothing you could do. That's They've tried. But, uh, no, i cautiously optimistic that he will return. But if I had to be honest, I honestly think retire is the side I'm, li- I'm leaning on right now. Really? Which is the worst case scenario. It is by far the worst case. Because if he fucking retires, you get nothing for him. And that is just brutal. But yeah. I, I I don't know. Like I just I honestly think retiring is more realistic than him playing somewhere else. I just don't see him playing somewhere else. I I don't see why at this point. Where where else gives you a better chance to compete and win a Super Bowl than Green Bay right now? You play in a shitty division. The NFC just got so much easier with Tom Brady retiring. Like why You might go to the Tampa Bay. I mean, that's the easiest division. Yeah, that might even be easier. I mean, that that's true, but I mean, still, you're facing the Lions, the Bears, the Vikings. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me why you would leave Green Bay, especially if they're able to retain Devontae Adams. But, yeah, that's going. So if you guys believe Rodgers stays, do you think then they end up just biting the bullet and trading Jordan Love? Yes. Probably. What do you even I mean, get, though? What What is even the value? Probably a third-round pick. <laughs> I was going to say, what is even the value there anymore? And who uh, and who would even be interested? Like, I guess the Colts, maybe? Like, maybe, like, the Commanders? The Like, I guess any of these teams that don't have a quarterback, it's a cheap experiment. If it doesn't work, A, you don't have to give up a lot, and B, you don't have to pay them a lot. Like, that's, I guess, the perk of it, but... I mean, I don't even know what his value is at this point. Yeah. No, it, is, and, it was That pick is more confusing today than it was it, on draft night, which is saying a yeah, lot because could, on draft night that pick course. made no sense. And it makes no sense now, too, because the Packers are in such a shithole in terms of cap. And a lot of those problems could have been fixed by getting three or four first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> like, I, I mean, yeah. it didn't make any sense when they did it, and it makes less sense now. It just is brain-numbing. Yeah. And it somehow is still not the worst pick of that first round because you've got Henry Ruggs, who's literally not in the NFL anymore, Isaiah Wilson, who played literally like maybe 10 snaps for the Titans. Like, Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Clyde Edwards-Elaire. And... Uh, Damon Arnett, who's not in the league either. So, like, somehow that's still not even the worst pick. And it's, like, it's so baffling. I feel, honestly, I honestly feel bad for Jordan Love because, like, what the hell could he have done? Like, there is no way in hell he's ever going to touch Aaron Rodgers' level of play. And so, by virtue of that, he is stuck on the bench until Rodgers decides to leave or just, like, is done, which who the hell knows when that is. This you know, Jordan, I feel terrible for Jordan Love at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the best spot, is it? I don't um, even know what you expect out of him. Like people are like, "Well, he's a bust." How? He hasn't even played. Like, he had <laughs> yeah, one game. So, yeah, the one game at the Kansas City where he couldn't handle the blitz, and that was it. I guess he's a bust now. I mean, but, and, yeah, and I mean, fuck, Packers special teams went full Packers special teams that game too. They missed two field goals. Like it, I don't even know, bro. It is a baffling decision, but. You know, I know Green Bay is a draft and develop team, but that one just didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Whatever. I'm done shit talking about it. I'm just rambling. Um, all right, so moving on, we're going to move on into uh, – let's go to Mizzou. Let's let's do that real quick. It's officially Kim Anderson bad. Shit. It is officially Kim Anderson bad. It is – it's reached it. And I didn't think okay. that was possible. Come on. What? Okay, well, I guess this year is, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's true. What what's this year? 
Let's let's think. The last year Kim Anderson was here versus this year's team, who wins? That that's like and, and, and the this fact team. And we only won eight games in Kim Anderson's last year. We've only won ten. Are we going to win another one? Maybe, probably. We not. played Georgia. Okay, you could beat Georgia theoretically, maybe eleven. But I mean, the fact that you were winning eleven games in your—is this four or five of Conzo? Is, five. You are no. I'll say this: you are in no better of a spot today as you were the day you hired him. The last day Kim Anderson was here versus versus today, you are no better, and that's unacceptable. At that point, he's got to go. He's got to get the hell out of here. That's what happens when you have the 166th recruiting class in the fucking country. That's what happens when your only fucking recruit one year is Jordan Wilmore, who can't get on the floor. Like, that is just... I feel like people don't understand this. how bad... If Michael Porter Jr. played, I truly do think we'd be in a different situation right now. I'm, And that's that's not even me dick-sucking him. But what? I truly like, do think... Like, why? No. Because, okay, stop, stop. Don't even, no, don't justify it. It's bad. He's terrible. Don't There's talk like, about I just feel like, Shut like, up. I, that's no. not my point. If you have the number one recruit to advertise playing, the recruits are going to come down, visit, then you can maybe try no, to. Be, no, no. But okay. that's been proven that's false. Like, look at Georgia. They had Anthony Edwards, like, and now they're complete shit. Even like LSU had Ben they're Simmons. They're complete shit with him. Yeah, but he was the number one recruit. Like, I'm saying, like, this is, like, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're a good recruiter, you find a way regardless. Like, it doesn't matter. And I don't want to hear shit about, well, we can't fire him because then we might lose Aiden Shaw next year. Who gives a shit? Like, one four-star is the difference between this team competing and not. It's not. So, I am so over it. I'm so sick of watching it. Honestly, they don't deserve anyone to show up. I hate the fucks that are like... Well, if they had a fan base, if the crowd energy was there, maybe they'd be better. Shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. That makes zero fucking sense. In the COVID year when nobody was there, how come the Blue Bloods were still kicking ass? Like, get, give me a fucking break. That makes how no sense. How come that was Mizzou's best season under Conzo? Exactly! <laughs> like, give me a break with that bullshit. But, yeah, I don't know. It's horrible. Uh, do we play? Okay, we play LSU on Saturday. We're going to get fucking rolled. I hope Pinson drops like 35 on us. Also, uh, Adam Schefter, five minutes ago, Eric Bieniemy returning as Chiefs offensive coordinator. So, official. Yeah. Yeah. We were on top of that. You guys were. I had no idea it was happening. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to kill myself. I'm actually going to fucking kill myself. This is fucking bullshit. Uh-oh. Oh, are we, not, are we not recording the podcast? No, I'm recording it. Oh. What, Josh? Arsenal just scored a 95th minute goal. Winner. Yep. Oh my god. Are you freaking kidding me? It was 1 1. And they came back down 1 0 in the 80th minute. I'm. Yeesh. Well, all right. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's there's Tottenham talk. There's a, there's your stuff for that. But yeah, it's it's embarrassing. It's horrible. Um, I don't even know what to say. Good news, though. Mizzou football. Josh, you want to take this it's one? It's not you... true. It's not true. It's not true. Okay, there is no good news then. My life is pointless and I am in pain. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he already came out and said, I'm not committed anywhere. Well, that, that's great. We're still getting Sam Horn, so 
my tears aren't. Sam Horn isn't going to be doing shit for the first year. Let's go to the Nick Heath interview. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into the Nick Heath interview, talking about depressing things, the MLB lockout. Let's go ahead and toss to that right now. One. All right, we are now welcomed on by a recurring guest, friend of the podcast. It's Nick Heath. Nick, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Happy to be back. Happy to have you on. We're doing good. Um, so a lot has happened since the last time you were on. I, uh-huh. I believe you got traded to the Diamondbacks since uh, you've been on. Yes, I did. All right. So how was the first year of being a Diamondback? Man, it was cool. I don't have uh, I don't have too much to complain about. Um, it's baseball per usual, I guess, kind of no matter what uniform you put on. So uh, I'm happy to still be playing. Um, <clears throat> no, nah, man, I, I met a, I met a few guys over here uh, in the organization. Uh, obviously, coming over here and kind of being a new face, there's only so many guys that you've either played with or played against that you can kind of uh, connect to uh, when you first get here. But other than that, man, it's been uh, it's been a really really fun experience. It's been pretty pleasant. Uh, I like I said, I don't have too many complaints. Obviously, the season has its ups and downs, and obviously going up and down. But other than that, man, it's 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 fun. It's a good time. Uh, I spend most of my time in Arizona, so I guess it's only fitting that I get traded to the team that is here. John, you yeah, just talking. Jackson. Yeah, I was just gonna say, just talking about you know already like playing in Arizona, like minor or in like spring training and stuff. What was your initial reaction whenever you got traded from the Royals? Did you see that coming? Did you have a hint that you might be on the move, or was it a complete kind of shock that you ended up getting dealt? Uh, to be honest with you, man, it caught me, it caught me pretty off guard. Um, obviously I've been, you know, with the Royals since 2016. So, uh, I've kind of developed a relationship with the players, uh, some fans, the staff, um, just, uh, the organization overall. So, uh, when they told me that they were going to make a move for me and that they were going to send me to the Diamondbacks, uh, I was a little, I was a little surprised. Um, I was a little, I was kind of upset. I can't sit here and tell you that I wasn't. Uh, just because, like I said, man, I've been I've been around some of those guys for three, four, five years. So that's kind of you know who I wake up and expect to see every day. Uh, and I guess I kind of got into a routine of seeing the same guys and working with the same coaches and developing uh, a deeper bond and connection and uh, uh, work relationship with a lot of those guys. So uh, leaving that and going somewhere different and kind of uh, having to figure out the lay of the land somewhere else. Uh, figuring out, you know, how this organization operates in comparison to Kansas City. Uh, it was definitely a shock. Um, I think I, I think um, that it shocked a few of my teammates as well, just, you know, talking to them after I had left and uh, after things had kind of blown over. Uh, just some of those guys saying, like, man, you know, the clubhouse isn't the same. You know, us going out to eat, uh, you know, once a week or however often, you know, we would kind of get together and do certain things uh, with certain players. Uh, kind of wasn't the same, so uh, I guess it's part of the game. It's part of the business. So uh, might have caught me off guard, but it's still baseball as usual. John, before kind of you a add on to something, I had one question, kind of at to ask him, ask you about that. So whenever you talked about the Royals, like letting you know that you're getting traded, did they give you any like heads up advance? Because I know you just said like they said we're gonna be looking out <coughs> options for you, or did they say you got traded to the Diamondbacks? Like. Did you have any input on, like, if you wanted to go to a specific team? Uh, no, I did not. So I got DFA'd, and they put somebody else on the roster probably two and a half weeks into that alternate site that we had yeah. before the season started. So 
uh, I had kind of gotten a little bit of information from my agent thinking that he thought I might go certain places or he wasn't sure, you know, what teams were interested. But when I had that phone call with the front office and they said, you know, sometimes stuff like this happens. Um, this is kind of just something that we needed to do for the team, which I totally respected. Um, in the back of my in the back of my mind, I was really, really hoping that I got to stay in Kansas City. Again, just because of the relationships that I had built over the years. Um, but they told me, you know, anything can happen. Somebody might not pick you up and you'll stay here, or somebody will pick you up and and that'll kinda just that'll kinda be the end of that and and you'll be in contact with a new team. So they called me, I don't know, probably nine o'clock, uh, a couple of days after I got DFA and told me that I had been traded to the Diamondbacks and <laughs> It, like I said, it caught me off guard. So I was on the phone. I was like, wait a minute, that's it? Like, I'm not a royal no more? <laughs> and they were like, uh, no, nah, man, you're you're a Diamondback now. So we'll get you in contact with somebody over there. Uh, and then probably an hour after I got off the phone with the front office, uh, somebody from the Diamondbacks front office called me, kind of gave me some instruction, told me what was happening, what was going on. And uh, they were like, hey, you're going to meet the team in D.C. tomorrow. So had to pack my stuff, catch a 6 a.m. flight out of Northwest Arkansas and go over to D.C. to join the team to play the Nationals. So it was a really, really quick turnaround. <clears throat> so it's been, we're coming up on two years since your MLB debut, believe it or not. And in that time, you've also been traded. So you've kind of dug your heels in in the MLB a little bit. What's been the most just eye-opening thing about the whole system, <laughs> just uh, kind of being a part of it now? Uh, when you say the whole system, you mean like being in the big leagues? Just or? the MLB in general. Just being in the bigs in general. Yeah. Oh, man. If you want me to be perfectly honest with you, how prepared I thought I was and then how much better the game, how much better, how much more refined, how much more locked in, how much more like attention to detail that the big league level was in comparison to double A and triple A and stuff like that. Right? So I got over here and... Uh, my first few days with the Diamondbacks were good, and then, you know, stuff kind of started to even out a little bit. And then at that point, it was just competing and being prepared and, um, you know, what was I doing that was working? What was I doing that wasn't working? And, man, it kind it kind of got me. I won't lie to you. Um, it, you know, kind of kind of kicked my ass a little bit. I can't lie. Um, but I think in that process and then being there and and watching enough, and trying to understand enough and just learning myself as a person and as a player. I think this past year has definitely been the most eye-opening in terms of the things that I really, really needed to work on, the things that I really needed to pay attention to, um, doing my homework as in like scouting reports, tendencies, stuff like that. So I think once I got to the big leagues and once I was kind of, you know, back and forth, I guess, 4A, you would say, um, it was more so just, again, attention to detail and making sure that every day I showed up to the park, I was my best. I was prepared to play. I was ready to go. So, um, I think the whole, I think the whole gist of that part of the game is you wake up in the morning, you're like, I want to be a big leaguer. I'm ready to play in the big leagues. And then you get to the big leagues and you kind of get punched in the mouth and then you got to respond. So, uh, it's, it's been a... <laughs> It's been a it's been a hectic year. It's been an exciting year. Um, it's been really really eye opening in terms of again the things that I need to do and the things that I need to work on. But I also think it it kind of grew me as a person and as a ball player because 
you know, when you don't have success, you got two options. You can fight back or you can roll over. And I, I've been working my ass off trying to get back to the big leagues and trying to put myself in a position that I can stick and put myself in a position that I can help a ball club win some games. Kind of going off of that, apart with your MLB like career or service time, I guess you can say, tell me if I'm wrong, but like in the third game that you were playing with the Diamondbacks, you made a diamond catch and made, made it onto the top 10. How, how was that? How did that feel? Oh, that was recognized like oh. on a nationwide kind of show. I know, nuts, isn't it? So I grew up a Braves fan, and my dad's side of the family, we have a lot, a lot of family in Atlanta. So when I found out we were going to be playing the Braves, obviously I called that side of my family, and I was like, look, y'all, I'm going to be down here. Uh, we're going to be playing these couple days. I'm um, going to be staying here. So it was kind of a nice little family reunion, but to be able to go out there and and do something like that, first of all, in the big leagues was awesome, but even more so to me it was it was really really fun to do that in front of my family you know what i'm saying to get out there and and kind of showcase what i do best in my opinion which is playing defense that's kind of something i take a lot of pride in so just just working with some of the coaches i had and the and and the way that you know they move guys the way that they position guys was a little bit different than Kansas City um in Kansas City they wanted me a little more shallow knowing that I could take away whatever was in front of me. And with the Diamondbacks, uh, they kind of wanted us back a little bit because the ball flies a little more. So uh, having that conversation with one of my coaches, uh, Crone, actually, uh, he was like, you know what? I'm not going to change something that you do well. So you go out there and you have fun and and just go make a play. I'm not going to say anything to you if you make it. But if you don't make the play, then you know you got to see me at the top step. That was a, a pretty funny experience to have. But... Going out there and making a play like that, oh, was that was unbelievable. You know, stuff like that happens in minor league games, and and it's not on national TV. The only people that see it are the people at the park. You know what I mean? So when something like that happens, and my mom calls me, she was like, hey, uh, you know you're on SportsCenter right now. And I was like, what? She was like, flip over. So I tried to flip over, and I missed it. So I sat there and watched it for a whole nother hour on a loop. To see if I can see it again. And I'm like, I called my mom back and I was like, no way I'm on TV doing something like this right now. So um, that was awesome, man. That was that was really fun. And then more importantly to me, even besides that moment, was just being able to show my team that they could rely on me in center field whenever they needed me out there. Um, that's just a testament to not only the work that I put in here with the Diamondbacks, but in all honesty, the core beliefs that the Royals kind of put in me as a as a professional athlete that, you know, that's something we take pride in and that's something we want you guys to take pride in. So carrying that on over here and carrying that work ethic and the way that I worked in Kansas City and bringing that here, I think it's I think it saved me a ton. Obviously, uh, we talked about it before, how you kind of from Atlanta, you were you know, you watched the Braves growing up and obviously you want to be the guy with your team in the World Series. You want to be winning that. But how cool was it to see them win the World Series this past year? And not only them win the World Series, but their World Series MVP, Jorge Soler, be one of your former teammates in Kansas City. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. As a, as a fan of the game, watching them, watching them win was, was unbelievable. So I've been watching <laughs> postseason appearances. I've been watching all types of stuff for basically my entire life. So getting to kind of see that from a fan perspective, not playing against him was really, really cool. But at the same time, I was like, damn, you know, like, 
I want that to be us one day. And then seeing Solera absolutely demolished the World Series was really, really cool knowing that I've been in the locker room with him. I've gotten to have conversations with him and kind of pick his brain and, and just learn who he is, not only as a ball player, but as a person. Um, seeing somebody that uh, you respect in the game of baseball and somebody that you played alongside um, go out there and do something like that, that was that was really elating, you know, um, to to see him shine in a moment that I know he wanted to shine in was absolutely, was really, really cool. And I know that a lot of guys uh, in Kansas city um, were just as excited as I was uh, to watch him go out there and perform like that. That's, I, and to look on TV and be like, Oh my God, I know that guy. And then, you know, he goes out and he's a homer. You're like, Oh snap. Like that's my dog doing something like that. So uh, that's, that's really fun, man. That's, Ted, that's up there next to you being the one out there. So uh, I wasn't able to be out there. So I'm, I'm glad somebody I know uh, was able to go out there and win a ring. No, that is brilliant. And I, I want to touch on something you talked about earlier on. Um, so you're talking about attention to detail, obviously. And um, the the Royals, uh, Terrence Gore once had a game where he like kind of stole home. He was reading the pitcher a little bit and like scored on a wild pitch that like barely anyone would have ever scored on and in the post-game press conference he went really in-depth about research about basically how he knew what the pitcher was going to do and things like that to get signals and I wanted to ask you as someone who takes a lot of pride in base running what kind of process do you go through with stuff like that because I thought it was pretty fascinating you never really hear someone in a press conference talking about stealing bases so do you have any insight into that uh I think a lot of it comes from um the first of all the work that we put in so when we were in Kansas City it was always doing a base running drill or if I wasn't hitting me and a few other guys Khalil DJ uh some of the guys who like to run bases we would sit back and we would talk about what did he throw you what did he throw you two two or what did he throw you three two or something like that when is when is he gonna throw a breaking ball when is he gonna spike something so I think eventually, and then once you get to the big leagues, you have all these TVs, you have all these iPads and these numbers and stuff you can look at. So you can kind of pick and choose when you want to be a little more aggressive than, you know, when you want to be a little more passive. But hearing him say that is really awesome because I sit down and I ask myself, okay, well, this guy threw me a curveball in a in a 2-1 count or a 2-0 count because he wanted to get it over, but he spiked it. So now it's 3-0. So I'm taking that with me on the bases and going, okay, he's in the same count he was with me. Let me see if he's going to throw another breaking ball here. So I'm kind of anticipating a breaking ball. And if it bounces, then I'm already like one step ahead. I know it's coming. I I at least think it's coming. So when it does and he spikes it, that's kind of my little, that's like my split second head start on the catcher. Or let's say I've been seeing a catcher for a while and I know that maybe he gets lazy in this count or maybe he doesn't pay attention to me the longer the bat goes on. Stuff like that kind of adds up throughout the year. And then instead of having to look at a notepad when you write something down like that, it almost becomes like second nature. So oh. I'll see so You're just picking it up in the middle of the game. You're just picking sometimes, it up from playing there. Yeah, sometimes you pick it up in the middle of a game. Sometimes you pick it up because I've seen these guys a month ago and this catcher's tendency is this. And I remember him doing that. So I'm really banking on him sticking with what I last saw. So that's kind of my 
that's kind of my cheat sheet. That's like my mental note of whoever's behind the plate or whoever's on the mound. This guy loves to throw his curveball. So I'm going to be anticipating the ball in the dirt on a regular basis. If I don't get it, cool, I shut it down. Or if I'm trying to run early in the count and he's throwing a fastball, then I'm looking for something different to pick up on him. Maybe he drops his shoulder. Maybe he leans a little bit before the plate. Maybe he wiggles his glove. There's always so many like little itty-bitty things that somebody sitting in the stands might not notice, but somebody sitting in the dugout could like whistle across the field and then flash me like a, hey, he leans a little bit. Or, you know, he's going to he's gonna buckle his knee before he goes. So that's something you talk about in the dugout. So a lot of that is kind of like game-to-game basis, but they say pitchers are creatures of habit. So if you kind of notice a guy doing this for like, so last year we were playing six-game series. So if I notice a guy do something on a regular, like, regularly and game two of the series and he's going to pitch game six and like he's coming out of the pen or game five or whatever you may have i can bounce back to that and go okay this is what he did game two so i need to be prepared for that when he comes back out so that way he thinks okay i'm gonna bury this curveball or i'm gonna keep this change up in the bottom of the zone and maybe he you know maybe he pulls it too far down or something like that so i'm kind of like I'm always thinking about something that's going to keep me one step ahead of the guy on the mound or the guy behind the plate. All right. So in the MLB right now, there's not a whole lot going on right now because there's obviously a lockout. And something that just came out recently was the MLB proposed to cut over, I think it was 400 minor league players or staff members. You going up through the minor leagues, what is your stance on that? Because like, you understand the grind that players go through. What is your response to the MLB is what I really want to know. It's, to be honest with you, man, it's kind of sickening to know that, you know, like let's say they do this two years ago or let's say they do this three years ago and I'm in high and all of a sudden I have like a really, really bad second half. Or if the MLB decides to cut 400 players, 500 players, however many players they decide to cut, then you – you know what I'm saying? Like you don't get a the opportunity and the chance to succeed becomes that much, you know what I'm saying, that much smaller. So now you have to come out and perform on a regular basis or as we all know, it's kind of like next guy in line. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So mm-hmm. seeing that and like being being next to guys who might have struggled and being next to guys who might have struggled in low A and high A and then maybe they maybe they don't get the opportunity to play in double A or triple A and then Okay, for, for instance, Prado or Melendez didn't have the best campaigns in high A, but then they came back in double A and they took the world by storm and then went to triple A and did it, and you know what I'm saying, and continued to do it. So let's say guys like that don't get the same opportunity because now we don't have as many positions and you struggled this year, but we don't think this next guy is going to struggle. You know what I'm saying? So you're taking, you're taking the ability – and the opportunity for somebody to develop, and you're cutting it that much shorter, which is, uh, in the game of baseball, the difference between high A, double A, and the big leagues is kind of a big jump in terms of not necessarily talent, but being able to like keep your entire game well-rounded and hold it together throughout a full season. So if you take that opportunity from hundreds of guys, that's the future of baseball we're talking about. Let's say Tatis doesn't play very well in high A and double A, and all of a sudden, we don't know if he's a prospect. We don't know if he's cut out for the big leagues because we only have so many spots. Then you don't see one of the game's most exciting players. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. 
having to look at that and look at my counterparts and and already go, man, like we got a long road ahead of us. Some guys fly through and some guys, you know, don't make it for seven, eight, nine years. And that's just kind of how the game goes. But to to hear them say that and know that they're taking the future of the game and trying to make it that much smaller and trying to take away from the sport that we have been talking forever about trying to build it up and give more people the opportunity to play and more people the opportunity to come out here and just and and obviously play a child's game but to com- to to compete and help an organization win a championship or help an organization go be great like that's that's tough and I know a lot of guys who who struggle but were really really good players and then I know a lot of guys who might not have been the be- the best baseball players but they had a lot of success. You know what I'm saying? So having to cut down on that, cutting down on that group of guys that's going to continue to grow the game and change the game and then pass it down to somebody else behind them, that's, that's kind of unfortunate to hear. And if I might add, too, the, the minor leagues, I mean, this is kind of a tone-deaf move because the minor leagues have already kind of been known for being, I mean, brutal. And in a collective bargaining where you would like to try to shore up some of those problems... They kind of move in the other direction. And, yeah, it just it doesn't really make a ton of sense, does it? No, I, and to be honest with you, I don't, I, don't know the, I don't know the cause. I don't know if it's saving money. <laughs> and I feel like the MLB has plenty of that. But just you're, you're, taking, you're taking something that so many people love and so many people can contribute to, and you're kind of just snatching that out from underneath them. Like, some of these, some of these, uh, like Latin kids who come from the Dominican Republic and then got to go and play in a totally different country, away from their families, and do so many different things to shine and perform, and then have to learn a new language. And I can only imagine how hard it is on them. What what happens to guys that have all the ability in the world but don't get the necessary amount of development they need to go out there and be the next Tatis or be the next Trout or be the next all-star or you know what i mean face of an organization mm-hmm. that's that's uh, how do you how do you justify or how do you in my opinion how do you sleep at night taking that opportunity away from somebody yeah, yeah. i mean when you and look I'm- at it the royals i mean from what i know let's say this happens 10 years ago we will never probably know who whit merrifield is no nope <laughs> like or dyson i mean uh, yeah dyson's a 50 rounder, man like he yeah didn't get that opportunity, you know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, wow, we're going to cut this guy short. We didn't put a ton of money into him. We don't know what he's got. We don't know if he's going to contribute. And maybe he had a tough season, so you let him go. And then he doesn't continue to play the game. But now he's a 10-year big leaguer and a world champion. Like, what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, where, where do you – where does that – like where does that make sense to a lot of people? Not just me, but it just it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the thing to do. It doesn't seem like something to do in good faith. But I guess the game of baseball isn't built in good faith. So, no, Nick, I wanted to ask you. I mean, I know that you don't have the answers that we all want. Like when is baseball coming back? But I think a lot of people would be interested to hear from somebody who is in the MLB. Is there anything you're hearing? Is there anything? hopeful that baseball could be back on time obviously pitchers and catchers were already supposed to report but is there anything you're hearing optimistic that maybe we're going to have opening day by march 31st like we were supposed to 
I hear a, I hear a lot of guys say that they think we'll be back March 1st. I hear some guys say that we'll be back next week. You know what I mean? I just I think there's a lot of different things going on, a lot of different uh, opinions about it. And I know that every time something happens or every time they meet, I try to pick as many brains as I can. I try to ask as many questions as I can. And then something comes out and it says that, you know, we didn't come to an agreement. So, uh, as man, as far as I know, I, I ask our rep. I ask as many reps as I can. I ask other big league players uh, as often as I can. Hey, have you heard anything different? And it's kind of been the same. It's kind of been the same answer for the most part. Hey, we want we want this. You know, uh, we're trying to negotiate this. We're trying to negotiate this. They said no. Or they're trying to negotiate this. They're trying to negotiate this. Vice versa. So, um, I, man, I, I do not know. I do not know. Optimistically speaking, I would love for us to start tomorrow. I would love for, you know, spring training to just, uh, for them to flip a switch and be like, cool, here it is. This is what we want to do. This is what we agreed to. And let's go play ball. But I know nothing is as simple as it seems. Jackson, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I was just going to say, like, that's you know, I understand what he's saying because that's kind of what it feels like whenever, you know, I've been following the, the Jeff Passan, the Buster only, you know, the guys covering it. And it kind of it kind of reiterate what you're saying, Nick, is just that, like, there is, like, really, like, optimism, but not a ton of movement. And there's really just a lot up in the air as to when baseball is going to come back. And that – you know, it's obviously a really unfortunate situation because we already, you know, in 2020, you dealt with this. Uh, we missed a ton of the season of baseball, obviously, for different reasons. But mm-hmm. it really just feels like the MLB really can't afford to do it again. They really, it felt like they were gaining momentum last year. It really feels like it'd be a huge slap in the face to all the, you know, the people that they've gotten on board to just like have this not happen, have them have to push back games. It's going to be unfortunate, man. You know, you put in a whole bunch of work during the offseason. They go, all right, cool. This is the day I need to be ready. And this is the day I need to be, you know, most prepared at the top of my game. And then they say, hey, we're going to push it back. Or, hey, this isn't going to go the same as it normally does. And I know everybody kind of has to have a little bit of adjustability. Um, But, uh, man, (laughs) going to work out at the gym five days a week or six days a week, it gets kind of old. I'm like, dog, when are we going to start playing? When am I going to see some pitching? When am I gonna fly ball hit to me? When can I steal a base? There's a I I know there are a lot of guys out there chomping at the bit to get ready to play this game, but at the same time, I I I love it. I love the stance that we're taking because I know that you know we're trying to look out for the game. Um, in the future, I know we're trying to make sure that the people behind us get the best opportunity and they get the best results and the contracts and 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 all that stuff. We hope. We hope the game is just better by the time this all uh, by the time this is all over with, uh, so we can give it to the the next generation of players behind us. Yeah, and that's something that I mean, like that people need to realize too is like it's not just for the foreseeable future; it's for generation, not generations, but like players that are to be coming up yet, like players that aren't even like that are in high school. This is setting up for like the future, like you said, and I think people just need to realize how big of a deal that is. But, I mean, if no one else has anything, I kind of want to line up the mood with one final question. So, we I know we've asked you about the 30-10-year-olds and one Conor McGregor, but our podcast member, John, has not agreed to this. We're trying to get him to agree to this. So, Jackson's brother is a UFC fighter. And we and John said a while back, joking around, that he could last a minute in the ring with a UFC fighter. And now we have know. one. 
Do you think he could last a minute or 30 seconds in the ring with a UFC fighter? What do you think he's going to say? He I mean, even know what I if, if he runs around, <laughs> if he listen, runs man, around. Listen, hey, but listen, man, you talking about a, you talking about a trained, you talking about a trained killer, dog. Nick, we like, just want you to say exactly. that the dude will beat his ass. Like, I'm that's really no. all we I'm want. Gonna no. I'm, I'm going to say no. I that's just, the right answer. But like, yeah. How long do you, okay, so then now the second part is, do you think he lasts 10 seconds in the ring? Running oh, around. Definitely. I, listen, I give you, to, uh, to be honest with you, I think I give you 30 seconds. Really? Ooh, listen, listen, here's why I, here's why I say I give you 30 seconds. If you can if you can wear a punch or a kick, he can't. That's the thing. Or 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 wrestle or wrestle enough to stay out of some type of submission, I'm giving you 30 seconds. But I don't think I'm giving you longer than that. Well, okay. He's a jujitsu, right? And isn't isn't that whole thing kind of like you you counterattack? So I mean, uh, yeah, but you still gotta be able to attack. No, no one, yeah, no one wants the boring fight, John, where it's just but, but like, you know, you're putting your hands out. I would say five. Like, in, in a truthful statement, I would say five. And, like, that's with me getting knocked out, like, knocked out, knocked out. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because um, that would I mean, mean I would 30. be taking punches past, like, the blackout zone, I would say. Like, a tap out, <laughs> we're probably looking at three seconds. Um, but, yeah, it's not going to happen, guys. I don't we're know what you, think, what you think is going on. We're trying to get it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing right now. I took some boxing classes uh, this off season, which actually really, really helped me. Uh, I think, I think a lot of guys should take boxing lessons, just in terms of like learning how to use your lower half to generate power from the ground up, how to like be fast to keep everything close to you, keep everything tight, and kind of learn how to move within like your little box, right? Mm-hmm. And just a great workout too. I mean, geez, I let. I let this I let this guy punch me. I had this little body I had this little uh like a body bag on. You know, you kinda like strap it over your shoulders and it protects like your side, your gut, your ribs, all that stuff. I let this man hit me and I don't know, man, because he still knocked the wind out of me. So I don't know. <laughs> John, don't would know you take a punch from Nick? Uh, yeah, I don't think you can take a punch from me. No, I don't think even then I don't want to take a blow from Nick. It's a professional athlete, bro. I, I last played sophomore basketball, man. This is like two <laughs> different types of species. Like, the, <laughs> this is, well, Nick, if the, of, if the schedules of, ever uh, align up and you're in Kansas City, let us know and John will come to the nearest gym. You can, you can, if you really want to, you could do it. I could take it. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, <laughs> but with content. My technique is not as sound as some of these guys, but I like to think I punch the bag kind of hard, right? I don't know. <laughs> oh, you probably do. That's <laughs> the best part. Like, no, hey, but there are do. also I won't take this from you. There are also like uh, there are also guys in there that are a lot smaller than I am, and there are some girls in there who are very tiny, and they look like they could. I don't know, man. I see some of them girls come in there and box, and they look like they could take me. So, I think as long as you're technical and you know what you're doing, I think you can take anybody. In my opinion. All right, well, yeah, I think we're, we'll, we'll leave it off there. Uh, Nick, once again, <laughs> appreciate you coming on. Glad we had that conversation. But uh, we hope And remember, you, when, you get, when you get the trout money, you know, yeah, we, you, know you have to call You, agreed, yeah, you agree to a million if you ever get $300 million with, like, as a contract. So we will hold you I, against hey, that. Hey, I, I didn't forget y'all, man. I didn't forget y'all. I'm yeah. just worried. I didn't a million, you know? Yeah, when right. I saw you make that catch and get on Sports Center, I was like, "Oh, we already at one fifty mil. He just needs to make more." <laughs> I gotta make a couple more of those and hit a couple, more. A couple more, man. They might be in trouble. 
They're going to be in big trouble. All right, oh, Nick. Appreciate goodness. it. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank yeah. you guys for having me. Again, thanks, Nick, for coming on the show. Good talk. Uh, as we currently sit during this episode, the MLB lockout, I think, is closer to ending than it has been since it began. I think this is about the closest we've gotten since it began. In all honesty, why the hell did it take until the last week of this before we have to enter canceling games for them to meet consistently? They didn't meet one time between this starting and the end of January. Like, what the fuck? How? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's bizarre. It If it's not done by Monday, then games are officially canceled. Some games are, not the whole season. But there are games that are going to be post. I, I think they're canceled. I don't think they're postponed. I think they're canceled. So, I mean, yeah, they're on a tight schedule. They've gotten a little closer this week, like I said. But there is really still a lot of uh, money to be negotiated. And it's not looking... I wouldn't say it's not going to happen by Monday, but I also wouldn't say it's looking promising that it's going to happen by Monday. We're going to see. I saw tomorrow or Friday at the earliest would be when it would happen. So we'll see on that. But, yeah, it's it's sad. Uh, whatever. And, and like, like we talked about in the interview, the minor leaguers are kind of getting absolutely shit on in these negotiations, and the players are trying to stand up for that. So that's that um that's your baseball talk we don't really have much else to say we're hoping that we can get some royals baseball coming up uh but let's go ahead and shift into race for the 10 seed post all-star break edition we're entering the final wire josh do the kings have any chance at doing anything no that's what i thought go ahead and get into it i i am fucking pissed right now all right here we go 13 is a shithousery fucking Sacramento Kings. Monty McNair could literally eat a dick. Number 12, it's Zion Williamson's a fucking bus. And yes, I am talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. Yes, the New Orleans Pelicans. Coming in at number 11, how the fuck is he still coaching? Is Greg Popovich in the San Antonio Spurs. Coming in at number 10, Damian Lillard, you're a little bitch. It's the Portland Trailblazers. Coming in at number 9, it's the MVP... 5-0 and in the All-Star game. It's, it's, it's the Lakers. The fucking shit harsery. Coming in at number 8, it's America's most hated team and definitely primetime Kansas City's most hated team. It's the Los Angeles Clippers. Coming in at number 7, he likes Popeyes and he likes McDonald's. It's not racist. It's, man, it's Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I am fucking pissed off. Yeah, I can tell. That was your least climat- That was your most anticlimactic uh, race for the 10th seed yet. God, I fucking hate sports. Just reels you in. and I mean, Can we have just a, like a, what is sports episode? I feel like we need to get into that. Like, when you really look at it, what is sports? Because I, I think, think it just sports is a were depression. designed to psychologically torture people. I honestly think I that's... I truly do think it's a depression. I think that's why they made it. I think, like, it was some sick psychology professor back in, like, the 1800s at Harvard. And he was, like, looking at, like, ethical ways. No, fuck it. It's not ethical. Unethical ways, but legal ways to fucking torment people's minds, especially men. And he was like, oh, fucking sports. This is genius. And it's working. It's really working. It's doing a very good job at that. So to the nerd in like 1840 that did this, fuck you. Like I said, I truly think it's the depressant. I mean, honestly, like there is no, there is no uh, feeling like sports that can piss you off that much. Honestly, there is nothing. But, uh, yeah, 
that, that that's gonna wrap up today's episode of Primetime Kansas City. Oh no, D four to the week. You guys go first. Jackson, yeah. Tottenham. Oh, I didn't hear you. Guys. Well, um, we said Tottenham. Oh, both of you Tottenham. Well, that yeah, I can't do that. I'm gonna say the dunk contest. Uh, holy shit! That's a guy. That's a good one. What the fuck was that? They couldn't even. Jalen Green shot 28% on dunks. Like, what? I'm telling you, layup contest next year. It would be so much better. Put Kyrie in that bitch. Put, like, Curry in that bitch. Have a bunch of cool-ass layups. It would be so much better than that. That was... I mean, I could do better in 2K on that. And I'm horrible at the dunk contest in 2K. I can never click the button fast enough. But, yeah, I mean, that is... That's the D4 of the week. And that's your episode for this week. This is Primetime Kansas City, and we'll see you next week.